it's good to be here. It seems like we've been talking about this and praying about this for just forever, but we are here, and, and I could not be more pleased to, to talk about this subject because this is the subject that has absolutely changed every part of my life. I, I shared this, and I'm not going to go into details with it, but I literally, I was a drug addict that came from, uh, I was a drug dealer at 11 years old making $1,000 a week. I grew up in the best neighborhood. I grew up, yeah, my family, uh, who was very, very, they just loved each other. My parents are still married to this day. But because of decisions, it led me to one thing that led me to another thing. And all of a sudden, I found myself in a world of hurt. Now, let me explain something real quick. I really do believe that I am the product of a praying mama. That mama never gave up. I'll never forget. I was hiring a kite one day on acid and I was downstairs in my room and my bride or my mom, uh, don't mix those up. I'm not from Arkansas or Louisiana or something like that. I'm just simply saying it's just, I just got over COVID. I still have a little bit of COVID brain, but my mama, I'm not married to her in the bathroom right above my, my room, there was a vent that literally just went straight down into my room, into my vent. And my mom literally would lay over that vent and pray. And one particular day, she's like, God, don't, don't, don't let him come down until he's ready to walk away from this lifestyle. And literally I am screaming, mom, stop praying. Why? Because I knew the power of prayer. I knew that prayer changed things. Even though I wasn't praying, I knew that it was impacting my life. But on the other side of that, I will say this. I love when people pray for me. I really do believe that people's prayers impact me and, and, and literally release heaven in my life. But nobody can pray better for you than you. There is no prayers that can be prayed over your life that are going to impact your life more than the prayers that you pray for yourself. And so I want us to do something. I want you to stand up with me. I know we just sat down, but I want you to stand up. Thank you for the kind, kind, uh, encouraging applause, man. We had some fun time in that, sl that slide, and we're going to get into this word. It's my birthday, so we're going to just go after Jesus, if that's all right. But I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go to that place where decisions are made. And I want you, if you're ready for God to speak to you, we're going to get into these altars in just a bit. But if you're ready for God to provoke you to prayer, to provoke you, to awaken, to provoke you, to just begin to answer what God's called you to be and to do, if you're ready for that, I want you to slip both hands towards heaven. And I want you to pray this dangerous prayer with me. Say this, say, Jesus tonight. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus, Jesus. Tonight, tonight is my night. Is my Speak night. to me Speak. and transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. And give me a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into our existence. I give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention. You have my permission. So speak to me in such a way that my life will be forever changed. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated in heavenly places. 
hey, I need you to do me a favor. My son's going to try to kick my tail. I have a 16-year-old son that's just awesome. He's going to take over the world someday. Uh, he is literally 16 years old. He wants to be a Supreme Court justice, but he's brilliant. He's, he's like this TikTok phenomenon type person, but he is trying to help us. Hey, God's going to do some things in your life tonight. God's going to do some things in your life tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, but would you do me a favor? Would you go and would you click onto our Instagram? We're getting ready to launch this, this YouTube channel, and, and it's called... Uh, it's called um, absence of perfect. How many of you know God's not looking for perfect? He's looking for obedient. And so literally talk about things like fear. We're going to just get into this thing. But our whole concept right now is better than before. Better than before. Let me, let me give you an, a, 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 an understanding of this. That, that just a few years ago, I, I lost 61 pounds. And God completely transformed my life. He, he, he said, when are you going to make me the Lord of your body? I said, okay, God, I'm ready to, to surrender everything. And I lost 61 pounds. And we've been health coaching since then. But in saying that, there are a lot of people that may lose the weight, but they don't change the lifestyle. And, and are you better than before? And a lot of people will take this before and after picture. Let me just ask you the question is, what will you allow God to do in your life? Could you take a snap picture, a snapshot of right now, and after four days of pursuing God, what could it look like? Is your after going to be better than your before? It's not just about saying I'm different. I'm, I'm a little bit more free. I'm just a, I'm a little bit more just committed. I met some new friends. This is about are you truly better? I'm talking about changed and transformed. And so I want to speak to you a message on back to prayer, back to the altars, because if we'll build them, can I tell you something? It's better than the, the field of dreams, the old movie, that if you build it, he'll come. Can I tell you, if we build this, he will come. There's a part in the Bible where, where the, I don't know if you've ever heard about the, the Tower of Babel. There were these guys that said, hey, listen, we're going to build a building that's so tall. We're going to build it so big that it's going to invade heaven. Can I tell you something? If you'll build the altar, heaven invade, will, will invade you. And that's what I want is not that, that, that we can just have to go to an altar in a church. I'm talking about where you begin to build altars, where you begin to seek God in your, in your school. You begin to seek God in your workplace. You begin to seek God in your car. You begin to seek God in your home. And, and all of a sudden we get to a place where I believe with God's taking us as individuals that we're going to stop going home from church talking about what God did at church, but we're going to start going to church talking about what God did at school what God did at home, what God did at, at, at our workplace. And it's going to start because we answered the call of what God was wanting to do. Prayer, I don't know if you know this, but prayer is a communication. Any good relationship is only going to be as good as the communication. I've been married 26 years. Let me explain something. It's not because I listen well. <laughs> It's because I, I, I obey what I hear. But it's communication, it's being, it's talking, it's about, it's allowing just, just this conversation, not just one person speaking, but both people speaking. And I'll never forget, I was in this prayer time one time, and, and these were some gurus of prayer. I mean, they wrote books on it. They travel all over the world. They literally have international ministries that, that minister to hundreds of millions of people. It's just crazy. But I'll never forget, I'm praying, and they're asking me to pray, and I'm praying out loud for 45 minutes. I'm just calling on heaven, God, pour out your spirit. God, pour out your spirit. Reach a generation. Pour out your spirit in revival. Let schools be turned upside down. And, and these, these guys 
are literally like, yes, Lord. Amen. And they're like, they may have said in 45 minutes a whole 20 words. And afterwards, they asked me to pray. And there was one particular man, his name's Dr. Williams. He was 87 years old. And I'll never forget, I went up to him and I said, I said, Dr. Williams, let me ask you a question. I said, during prayer, I said, I said, man, I was crying out to God. I was pouring out my heart. I literally was losing my voice, crying out to God. And and it just seemed like you guys weren't praying. And he said, oh, no, 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 son, you're just young and dumb. I'm like, what? And he goes, no, 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 here's the idea. He said, you are still running your ideas by God. He says, we've gotten to the place where God begins to run his ideas by us. And he said, so we were just responding to what he was saying because of what you were saying. The problem was you never stopped talking, so you never really heard him to respond. And he said, and in my life, he said, I just want, I'd rather hear God speak and allow myself to rely on simply agreeing to what he's wanting to do than me giving, his, me giving him my advice on what I think he should do. Prayer is not giving God our advice. Prayer is releasing God to do what only God can do. And how many of you know God's got some pretty crazy plans for what he's wanting to do, not only in your life, but what he's wanting to do through your life. So let's get into this word, just simply the thought of being called awake. First Samuel chapter two, verses 35 says this, I will, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what's in, watch this, in my heart. Not according to their agenda, not according to their plan. How many of you know that salvation is in God's heart? Healing is in God's heart. Deliverance is in God's heart. Reaching your family, stopping divisions, killing and destroying racism, destroying destroying addictions and habits that are killing people, suicide and depression. It's in God's heart to begin to squash, amen? He said, I'm looking for someone, a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire, what's in my heart, what's in my mind. And I will firmly establish this priestly, his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed ones always. If you have your Bible, turn with me, flip, flip with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read 20 verses if that's all right. And if you say it's not okay, I don't care. I'm still going to do it. Because I'm here to tell you, I'm here to release a word, not just tell you stories. Amen. First Samuel chapter one, verses one through 20. It says this, it says Elkanah had two wives. Number one, that is a no, no, uh, that we don't believe in that, but that where is where his problem started. Amen. I've been married to the same woman 26 years. Thank God. One woman. I, I listen, I couldn't, I can barely, her nickname's fire because she's hot. Amen. And uh, I will say this, don't walk into a movie theater and scream that it's illegal because I've almost been arrested. And I was just looking for my bride because I had popcorn and, 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 a, and a water. And so he had two wives. Listen to this. And, he was, and one was called Hannah and the other Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Say that with me. Say Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord and uh, the Lord Almighty at Shiloh and where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came Elkanah to, for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Panina and to all of her sons. But watch this. This is crazy. It says, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion. 
Look at this. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. And it goes on and it tells you why that he gave this double portion. It says because he loved her. What does that say about Penina? <laughs> like there was a special place in his heart for this woman. And it says, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah would go up before the Lord to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in the, on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep distress and, and deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And, and, and she prayed, or she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you would just look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall be ever placed and used on his head. And as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying with her heart, but her, and her lips were moving, but her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I want you to hear those words. She was deeply troubled. And it goes on, says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the Lord your God, the God of Israel, grant you whatever you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Basically, she's saying, may it be done unto me. Then she went away, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early that next morning, she arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home in Ramah. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. I want you to hear this word. The word Samuel means because I asked the Lord for him. Father, I ask that you would lend me your voice tonight. This congregation of young people and young adults don't need my opinion. They definitely don't need my advice, but what they need is a word from you. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your help and I'm asking for you to speak. I'm asking you to, for you to stir and I'm asking you to begin to do what only you can do that you would draw people unto you and that prayer would not just happen, but Father, that it would be inspired, that it would be responded to, and that it would alter every person who's willing to respond to that call. God, may prayer be our language that we speak that changes things in our life and other people's lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Hannah was a good, God-fearing woman who was barren, she was unable to conceive. Can I tell you that I look around this room and if I can just be honest with you, I see a whole lot of people, a whole lot of young men, a whole lot of young ladies that are unable to conceive. And every man said, amen. 
I'm not talking about a child. I am talking about you're unable to conceive that God can use you in the way that he wants to use you. That you're unable to conceive that you have the ability, the God-given right, the God-given purpose, the God-given responsibility to change atmospheres. That you're unable to conceive that God can use these hands to be laid on the sick and the sick recover. And you don't have to go to Bible school to get that kind of understanding. You just have to get to a prayer time and you have to encounter a holy God and get under his anointing, get into his power and allow his power and his authority and his Holy Spirit to get inside of you. You're unable to conceive that you're actually world changers. You've heard that for so often, but you just kind of believe the saying, but not necessarily the, the call. You're unable to conceive that God's about to pour out but he's waiting for a generation to volunteer to say, God, if you can use me, then use me. I, if nobody else wants it, I, I'll, I want it. Can, can I tell you a, a cool fact? I, I always start the, the beginning of the year just reading the scriptures, and I always start in, in the gospels. I just... Every year, I, that, that's the first thing I want to learn about. I love the whole Bible. I'll read through the whole Bible, but I want to start with the Gospels. So I started in Matthew. One particular year, I was starting, and I started in Matthew, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, and all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you didn't go, get it. Go back and read it again. I'm like, oh, all right. So I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again. I'm getting sermons. I'm getting thoughts and revelation. I'm like, this is good. I read it a second time. The Lord spoke to me. said, you didn't get it. Go back and read it again. Read it again, getting more sermons, more thoughts. Wow, this is, you ever read the scripture and you're like, I didn't even realize that was there. Like John 3, 16, that's, that's real. Like God loved us and he gave his son. That, I don't know if I've ever heard that before. And all of a sudden, it's not that you didn't hear it. You're just in a different place for when you see it. This revelation comes because not because it wasn't there. It's always been there. You're just, you just haven't always been there. And so I read it again, and the Lord says, go back and read it again. Now, after three times... I'm like, God, listen, I, I, I'm asking for grace. I'm asking that you would help my unbelief and my ignorance. But Lord, I don't even know what I'm trying to get. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the book of, of, of the, the Gospels, and then I want you to follow it up with Acts. I'm like, man, we're going to get into a new book. This is good. I'm getting somewhere. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John run straight into the book of Acts, read through it, and I'm like, dear God, this is good. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He said, you didn't get it. Go back and read it again. And I mean, there was a place where I'm like frustrated, but more, I'm, I'm more broken because, Lord, I, I'm lost. I don't know what I'm supposed to get. And I went to the Lord in prayer. I started fasting. I said, God, what am you, are you trying to show me? What am I not getting? And he said, here's the problem. You're just like everyone else in my church, everyone else that call themselves believers. He said, I never said, ever did I say, go read the book of Acts. I said, follow it up with Acts. He said, the book of Acts came forth because my disciples saw what I was doing. They spent time with me in prayer prayer and they went and did it themselves he said you want to hear about it you want to hear another story you want to be entertained by the power and the authority of god you don't want to walk in it he said go back and read it again and then go do it he said but this time i want you to take note of where every miracle took place every miracle that i did where did it take place can i tell you with 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 
Blind Bartimaeus was out on, on, the, on a street somewhere. The man with the shriveled hand happened in a temple square. A woman that was, was caught in adultery happened outside in, in a marketplace. The, 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 the woman that was bleeding happened in the streets over and over. Can I tell you a cool little fact? For every one miracle that Jesus did in a church setting, he did 26 miracles in the streets. Let me just say that again. Let's just rewind. For every one miracle that Jesus did in a church setting, he did 26 miracles in the streets. What am I saying? That means, how many of you got saved in church? How many of you got healed in church? Raise your hand. How many of you God's done something in church? For every one miracle that God's done in a church setting, he's waiting to do 26 miracles in the streets. So here's where the math begins to jump. Let me explain something. That, that means this, that I'm a mir- God's done something in my life. God did something in my life in church. That means that there's 26 miracles waiting in the streets for me to get out of the church, not just to, just to go to, to be rebellious. I'm talking about be power, spirit filled, encountering God, dripping in his anointing, but then going out and going and doing what God's called us to do. How's that going to happen? It only comes through prayer. How am I going to know where to go? I mean, it's, when you have a prayer life, God will say crazy things. He'll be like, I need you to go talk to this person. And you're like, I don't think so. Like, I'll never forget being at a restaurant. The Lord speaks to me, and he, he always messed with me. He messed with me at this biscuit place with this, with this kid named Travis. But I was at this restaurant in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Lord says, I want you to walk up to that kid, and I want you to say mustard. I'm like, no. I bind you, devil. You are a liar. Why would I say mustard? That's just dumb. He said, I want you to go say mustard right now. I'm like, God, okay, God, is this you? Like, you start putting fleeces out in front of him. Like, okay, prove yourself. And don't use mustard. And all of a sudden, I felt conviction. And I saw this guy getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, if you don't go say this now, you're going to miss it, not him. And I got up, I walked up to him, and I, I, I saw somebody that had mustard on their table. I said, Are, can I use your mustard real quick? And they said, absolutely. I walked up to the guy. I said, I have no idea what this means. I just said, God, I have to be faithful to what God's telling me. I said, I just have to simply say mustard. And I was like walking away. He grabbed me by my back of my neck, and he said, what did you just say? I said, mustard. <laughs> he said, why would you say Mustard. I don't know. God told me to say it. He said, you need to understand something. He said, I have a, the, one of the biggest decisions in my life. Somebody has just asked me to come lead a master's commission in Anchorage, up in Wasilla, Alaska. And he said, and I walked into this meeting today saying, God, listen, I just need to make sure it's you. And if it's you, Lord, I remember that, that, it, that when he got called, this, somebody had told him the word mustard. And he said, God, when you called me to do this, and give my life to you, you use mustard. So Lord, if it's real and you want me to go to Alaska, then just simply bring up the word mustard. I was sitting in a plane, church. I was sitting in a plane and I'm ornery on a plane. Let me explain something. I've told people that literally I kill people on the plane. I don't suggest that. <laughs> I told them I was a hit man 
and I use a sword, and my favorite thing to do is when I come in, I don't even know who I'm coming in for. I've never seen the man that I work for physically, but he, he brings me in, and my job is to use a sword and to cover the place in the blood, and literally people, that they, they come to this place, and they die, and they no longer live, but all of a sudden, I just, and the lady looks at me, and she's like, what do you really do? And I said, I'm actually a minister, and she's like, oh my gosh, why would you tell me that? And... <laughs> But I was on a plane one time, I had my books in the middle seat, and all of a sudden this lady came and sat down, and I went to sit down and have my books, and she said, move your books, and she was very, she was older, and she was very angry, and then she threw herself in the book, or into the chair, and right when she sat down, Pastor Andrew, I looked at her, and I said, uh, excuse me, you just sat in my friend's lap. And she looked at me, and she said, what did you say? I said, literally, you just sat in my friend's lap. And she starts cussing me out. Like I'm leaned up against the window and literally she's, I feel like she's about to bite me. Her face is right here, screaming and cursing at me. Long story short, in the middle of all that happening, God says, I want you to, t I want you to apologize to her. I want you to say you're sorry. Tell her that you were joking around, but ask her if I can hold her. I'm like, God, if I ask her if you can hold her, she's punching me. There's no way out of this. One of us is going to be escorted off this plane in handcuffs, and it's probably going to be her, because I'm not going to hit an older lady. But I'm sitting there, no lie, and she's screaming at me. I said, ma'am, 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 time out, time out, hold on. I said, listen, I, I want to apologize. I'm actually a minister, and she's like, how dare you? Don't even talk to me. And I said, listen, I just want to apologize. I'm, a, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just being ornery. I said, and she said, I, I said, stop talking to me. I said, listen, I said, I just have to say one more thing. I said, my best friend that I'm talking about is my traveling companion. He goes everywhere that I go. I said, his name is Jesus. And I said, and he's telling me that I need to tell you I'm sorry. I said, but he's also telling me that he, he wants to hold you and he wants your permission if he can. Can he hold you? And she literally goes, what did you just say? I said, God wants me to ask you if he can hold you. She throws her hand on mine, eyes exploding in tears. She said, why would you say that? I said, I'm just simply being obedient to what God's saying. This is going somewhere, watch. She said, I just buried my husband over 47 years. She said, my children are making me move from Ohio to California because I'm sick and I can't care for myself. I am terrified. I am afraid. I'm angry. I'm, I, I'm sick. I'm hurting. She said, but I'm not a church-going person. I'm not a religious person. She said, I was leaving the house that I've, the only house I've known as an adult. She said, my neighbor was getting ready to take me to the airport. And she said, I was crippled in fear, thinking I can't do this. She said, I grabbed a hold of the, of the doorknob. And she said, and for some reason, I just looked up into the, into the ceiling and said, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't even know if you're real, but if you're real, I can't do this on my own. And the only way that I can do this is if you'll hold me. And for two and a half hours, this lady held my hand. I had literally got off the plane and apologized to my bride. And I said, listen, I just have to tell you something. I held hands with some other lady for two and a half hours, then told her after what was going on. 
can I tell you, that didn't come out of ministry school. That didn't come out of a sermon. That came out of a personal relationship with Jesus. That came out of a conversation with him. And I'm not talking that you have to go anywhere. I'm talking about that you can walk with him and talk with him. And he allows him yourself, he allows your ears to be tuned into his voice. And, and if you can't hear his voice, then you can read his word. And as you read his word, his voice comes alive comes through prayer what am I talking about let me just finish this up see her husband Hannah tried to get her mind off of the emptiness of, of other getting her eyes off her own emptiness with empty things and other things to try to feel the void in her earthly of her this earthly ability but he could not make up for what only God can do. He refu she refused to allow wealth and love and attention and opportunity and blessing to comfort her. She was so desperate for more that she never gave up on this dream, this dream of having a child, a dream of redemption, a dream of greater future. See, Hannah's rival would mock her and irritate her and provoke her. See, she prayed, P-R-E-Y, prayed on her insecurity and her inability. I am a better wife because of look what I'm able to give him I am able to give him children I'm able to give him legacy I'm able to give him future what are you producing but regret and grief you're worthless Panina had a house full of kids but they were doing nothing Hannah had nothing in her house but a heart full to do something I don't know about you Pastor Andrew I'm, I'm not sure about what's going on in your heart but here's what I've found out and, I, and spending all day yesterday with you I can tell it's the same I would rather have empty buildings uh, that are filled with, uh, that, with empty uh, I'd rather have empty buildings than empty hearts and empty lives but I would the empty buildings when they're filled with individuals that are filled with desperation something begins to happen an atmosphere is impregnated by the promises of God it is not about just filling it up with a bunch of people it is about allowing God to bring people that are desperate having encounters with him and all of a sudden there's a hunger that begins to stir something begins to arise saying God there's got to be somebody just like me that God needs you Desperation must push us to pray. Discouragement must lead us to linger in his presence. Our determination must be greater than our discouragement. If we're going to be provoked, let us be provoked to pray. See, people who are not content, or people who are content and satisfied don't pray. When everything's going good, we're not finding ourselves crawling to the altar. But when things are going bad, we find ourselves desperate. Why? Because we're hungry. We can't do this on our own. What would happen if we just realized we can't see God do what only he can do without partnering with him and inviting him into our circumstances and our situations? See, it's not just that prayer brings the awakening. Prayer is the awakening. Let me say that again. It's not that prayer, it's just praying is, is the awake, or prayer brings this awakening that if we'll pray long enough and we'll spend enough hours in prayer that God is going to pour out in revival, God's going to pour out this awakening. I'm talking about the first person that responds to prayer and actually begins to do it. The awakening's already started. So what's this whole prayer thing? Let's just, let's just take a little bit deeper step. See, it's a contradiction to claim that we want the power of God, but not pray and engage in that power. Power comes down where there is prayer. 
There is a, see, there's a scripture that says there is a form, we have this form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof. We have the intention of prayer, but not the indention of prayer. People that pray don't have to tell you how long they pray. You know they've been with Jesus. People that have a prayer life, people that have been spending time with Jesus, isn't it funny that Paul or Peter and John, when they're being questioned by the religious people, they look at them and they said, wait a second, they said, who gave you the authority? Who empowered you? How does this man stand here who's been crippled? And I love what Peter said, it is by the name of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden they realized, they said they were unschooled ordinary men, but they've been with Jesus. I don't know about you, I want the reputation, I've been with Jesus. Hannah grew more and more desperate for her womb to be open and a child to come forth. Hannah made a promise to God in prayer that if she was able to have a child that she would give her child to the Lord and consecrate that child to him. Samuels are always first conceived in prayer and brought forth in intercession. But Samuels are always dedicated unto the Lord for his service. Let me, what does that mean? We must first commit them to him and his service before they ever come. Pastor Andrew, you've been praying for a revival. It's who you are, you and your bride. It's just the very makeup of your DNA. But what happens is it starts with us. That's why you're so restless. That's why you're so, it, it's in you. You're just, you, I'm hungry. I don't know what to preach. I don't know the scriptures to quote. I don't know the songs that we want a part of our service. I don't know what we have to do to do it, but it will bring you to a place where it starts with a sticky note and all of a sudden it goes from your heart to a sticky note and sticky note to reality. And all of a sudden it births into something else and you're bringing other people. You're the one that told me that they, they spark it and then you spread it. But it started with you. And if you look around this room, it's not just stayed with you because you are someone that is, in, that is inviting other people for more. And because your spiritual stomach's growling is causing other people's spiritual stomachs to growl and all of a sudden there's a whole lot of spiritual stomachs growling in this place and by the end of this week, there's gonna even be more spiritual stomachs growling and you're gonna find out you're called, you're gonna find out there's miracles waiting for you to actually go and walk in them and then you're gonna realize that you need to live everywhere you go. There's gonna be a whole lot of things that occur this week and you're gonna be completely different and all of a sudden you're going to have a wall that wraps around a building because of the lives that are going to be changed because of your prayer lives. <laughs> Who's waiting on you to have an encounter with Jesus? Who's waiting on you to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus where all of a sudden everything changes? One encounter with Jesus changes everything. But here's the thing. It starts before they come. All of a sudden they walk in and there's an atmosphere of hunger. There's an atmosphere of holiness and, and they're dedicated before they even get here. Because God's not called you to raise up puppets. He's called you to raise up prophets. People that aren't going to just mimic you, but people that will surpass you. All of a sudden, they'll be here two hours before you get here because they're hungry. And all of a sudden, there it's almost like you're on the starting line and you're, you're not racing in giftings. You're not racing in talents. You're racing in hunger and passion. And all of a sudden, they're like, wait a second, Pastor. I'm not, there's no way I'm going to let Pastor Andrew out-hunger me. There's no way I'm going to out allow him to out-preach out me. I'm not going to allow him to out-worship me. I'm not going to uh, allow him to, allow, uh, to, to out-pray me. I've got to do something. Why? 
because I'm destined for more. Let me just get the worship team to come on up here and we're going to just get into this just for two more minutes. See, when she conceived and Samuel was born, she gave Samuel to Eli, the priest, to the service of God when Samuel was a very young age. The Bible says that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. This was during, listen to this, this was during a time when the house of Eli was out of control. Eli's sons were doing very wicked things and Eli ignored what God could not he needed someone to rise. Listen to this is a prophetic word for somebody. God needed someone to rise into a spiritual leadership and into a spiritual level of authority through prayer, through encounter, to shift culture. But even in the midst of the house of sin, the Bible says Samuel continued to grow. Even in a place where sin was everywhere around him and flourishing, Samuel continued to grow. The Bible says that Samuel grew in the presence, grew up in the presence of the Lord. In verses, in chapter 2 of verses 20 to 21, it says, and this was during a time when the house of Eli was falling apart. See, Samuel lived in a place where the heavens were quiet and deception lived in the next room. Outside his bedroom door was perversion, greed, and dead sleeping religion, but he stayed focused. God protected him and he stayed pure. Eli's house describes many of the homes in our nations, homes full of darkness, but inside are full of prophets. I believe our goal must be to see this generation stand firm regardless of their surroundings, the presiding, the presiding culture, and their misguided upbringings. It says that 1 Samuel chapter 3 verses 1 through 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming very weak so that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the Ark of the Covenant was. He was lying in the very near presence of God where most people went and visited. Samuel chose to stay and abide. And that night, God interrupted young Samuel's sleep. He awakened Samuel. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. He answered, here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, here am I. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here am I. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel, watch this. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Isn't it amazing that God has a call in your life and you don't even know him yet, yet to let alone to know what he has planned for you? He didn't understand the word of the Lord. And it said the word of the Lord had yet been, not yet been revealed to him. And a third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And God, God is a God of suddenly. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick, but a sudden good can turn life around. God can suddenly interrupt your life with one, just one cry of his voice. 
Three times Samuel runs to Eli's room. Three times he's turned back and he is told by Eli three things. I didn't call you. Listen to this. I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. I believe that those are the very things that the enemy is telling a generation. I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. How many of you are in this room right now and you go, how can I be used? I've done too much wrong. God's calling you and you're trying to respond to it and the enemy's telling you, I didn't call you. Go back to where you are. Go, or go back to where you were. Go back to the things you've done. Go back and just lay down. Remember, if you were in the third service today, I talked about the word, the, the word walking actually can be translated in the Greek to mean live. And so if walk means live, then what does lying down mean? Dying. You're not called. Go back and die but what would happen if a Samuel call is awakened in your spirit I believe that God is giving a sleep disorder called prayer to a generation they're going to wake up in the middle of the night hearing the call and they're going to get on their faces before God and they're going to begin to respond to what God's doing and they're going to ignore what the enemy's been telling them that there's no calling there's no chance there's no ability there's no purpose there's no destiny you're, you're, you're just you're just used up you're thrown away nobody loves you You've made too many mistakes. But a generation's going to plug their ears to the things of the enemy and they're going to say, I am called. I have a purpose. I am chosen. I am destined. I am purposed. And I may not have may, I made of all the right decisions. I may have messed up more than my fair share. But God, see, man didn't call me. I didn't even call me, but God called me. And if God called me, I have a reason to live. I have a purpose to fulfill. I have a destiny. He stands up, and I love what the scripture says. It says, the Lord came and stood by him. And the Lord spoke to him, and he said, I'm about to do something in Israel that's going to make every ear tingle. Let me release a prophetic word to you as a generation. Let me speak to you, young men and young ladies. God is about to do something in this land, in this land. And it's going to cause politicians' ears to begin to tingle. It's going to cause CNN and Fox News and, and all these news agencies. It's going to cause social media where their ears are going to begin to tingle saying, I, what is going on? A generation is rising up. A generation is rising. God's breaking up. Kids are pouring into high schools and middle schools and college campuses and they're laying out their faces before God and, and bodies are being healed. Hospitals are being emptied. And dreams are being fulfilled. What am I talking about? I believe with everything inside of me that there was a man who said, I have a dream that young men, that, that white boys and black boys are going to be hand in hand. I believe that prophet, product, prophetic word has yet come to pass. But a generation is going to rise up and all of a sudden they're going to seek God and begun, because they seek God in prayer, they're going to begin to be obedient to what God's telling them to do. And then they're going to go out into the streets and they're going to start writing at Acts number two. And in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on my young men and my old men. And I will begin to pour it out on the maid servants and the men servants. And they will begin to prophesy. And they will begin to dream dreams. And they will begin to see visions. And they will begin to do miracles in the midst of craziness. Why? 
because they, because they couldn't lay down anymore. They were no longer going to die. They were going to get up and live. That's what prayer is about. You want to see the dead raised? Go to funeral homes. I've seen a dead person raised. I actually have a death certificate signed by a doctor. A man by the name of Dwayne physically died. We prayed. He came back, lived three more years. But can I tell you, he wasn't my first person. I've been kicked out of more mortuaries and, and, and funeral homes. Literally, the first time I ever went to do a funeral, legally, <laughs> the guy came in and he says, oh, dear God, you can't be in here. I said, I'm actually preaching the funeral. I've been chased out. You want to see blind eyes? See, you better be praying for the blind. You want to see the lost saved? You better go and pray for the lost and then go share the love of God for the lost. But if you want to see it, it's got to start here. It's got not here. I'm talking about here. It's a bent position where, and you don't care what's happening on the stage. You don't care about what's going on around you. You just grab a hold of God and you allow God to begin to grab a hold of you. And you say, I'm not leaving here until everything in my life changes. Until things that I once craved, things that I once desired lose their grip. And the enemy loses his voice, his ability, his volume. And God, your voice begins to find the greater voice. I'm not leaving here until everything in my life shifts. That's what Hannah did. I may run out of words. I may run out of volume. But I'm not running out of passion and determination, God. That's prayer, young people. That's prayer, adults. I just wonder if there's not some people that have been being provoked. I just wonder if there's not some young ladies that have been provoked. Every time they look in the mirror, the enemy reminds them, you're not called. Go back and just lie down. Just go back and disappear. I wonder if there's not some young men that have been reminded by the enemy, provoked by the enemy. There's no call of God on your life. You'll never do anything. There's no call. You can't do this. Go lie down and disappear. But a generation that's tired of listening to the enemy that arises and said, I don't know what I'm called to, but God, I'm here. I don't know what you've called me to do, but here I am. I don't know how it's going to happen, but God, here I am. Here I am. Speak, O oh Lord, for your servant is listening. You have to position yourself. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. why this excites me I can I can I can't physically prove that all of them but I can prove that over three quarters of the disciples were teenagers I believe they were all teenagers and young adults I believe that personally it's my opinion you don't believe it I don't care it's not going to change either one of our lives I believe 11 of the disciples were teenagers and one of them was a young adult. The young adult was Peter and he was 21 years old. And God believed in teenagers and young adults so much that he put his gospel on them, hung out with them, and they changed the world and are still changing the world. Andrew's the one who said it. Nobody can tell me that this generation, these generations, are some of the biggest influencers or influencers in the church. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I'm out of the way. I preached way too long, but I've been sick for four months, haven't preached for the last month, or four weeks, I haven't preached for the last month. There's a lot of preach inside of me. But I am... When you talk about prayer, I've got to do everything in my power to get people to begin to pray. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't care what it is. I don't care how it is. I'm not looking for volume. I'm looking for depth. But I'm, I'm just believing there's some young people that have been being called by God to come close. Being called by God so that He's wanting to reveal some things to you, but it's going to come close into conversation. It's coming close in position that you're willing to say, hey, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I just want to spend some time with Jesus in prayer. I just want to talk to Jesus. If you're here and you just say, I just want to talk to Jesus, I want you to leave your seat and I want you to spread out all over this altar right now. Whether you kneel, stand, or go face down, I want you to begin to find a place just to spend a few moments with Jesus, talking to Him and beginning to ask Him, God, what, what are you wanting to do? What do you need to get rid of in my life? God, what, what in my life is stopping you from moving? God, I just am asking you to begin to just have your way. Come on, students. Come on, young adults. Come on, adults. Just find a place to spend some time with Jesus. Father, I preached what you told me to preach. I did what you told me to do to the best of my ability. This is where I get out of the way and I simply say, God, get in the way. Let your voice be heard. Let your face be seen. Let your touch be felt. Let your grip, God, indent young people. Let hearts be indented by your fingerprints. Let minds, let thoughts begin to be indented by your fingerprints because, Lord, it wasn't that they were touched by a ministry. They were touched by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And lives will be forever changed because of that one touch. Come, Holy Spirit, come right now. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Head on collisions with you, my Jesus. They can't walk the same. They can't talk the same. They can't act the same. They don't even look the same. People are not going to recognize them. They're going to say, there's something different about you. There's something on you. I don't know what it is, but I feel peace coming off of you. I feel joy coming off of you. I feel love. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm feeling something that's on you and in you, and it's trying to get on me, and it's trying to get in me. How many classrooms are going to be turned upside down because of what occurs tonight? How many homes? How many marriages, how many families, how many teams are going to be forever impacted because of what God is doing in you tonight?